it's so funny. My brother is my broker and he said, don't fall in love with the house. Don't fall in love because if it doesn't work out. And I said, it's not the house that I'm in love with. He was like, wait, what? <laughs> because it's in an older neighborhood, the deed restrictions are a little bit different. It has a really big backyard because our plan was to build a mother-in-law suite or like a bungalow in our backyard for her, for my mom. And really? uh, we just found out yesterday that there's oh, no restriction nice. on that. Well, hey, her bungalow comes with a in-ground pool. Uh, what? Mm -hmm. So she's getting a bungalow with a swim-up pool? Right? She, she's basically living in a sandals resort. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she lives in a house um, not far from where I'm at right now, but uh -huh. as she gets older, we just want her closer to us, but we know she wants her own space. So this house yeah. kind of allows us to do that for her and also us, our children to be in a good school. So this is what I'm talking about when I say like, I'm not a great person. I have, I live on the third floor in a one bedroom apartment with a balcony, so don't get me wrong, I'm living in style, but I, I, I don't think it's ever crossed my mind in a substantive way that I should buy a house and build a smaller house to put behind it so that my mother can grow old in comfort and safety. <laughs> I well, mean, it's kind of a big fuck you to my mom. <laughs> like, good luck out there in rural New Braunfels. <laughs> my, <laughs> I love my mama. <laughs> I mean, you do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my mom too. Mom, I love you. I do. I love you. She says she listens to this. I'm not yeah. sure that she really does. So we'll see now, won't we? Yeah. Yeah. Laying out a trap for her because that's the relationship yeah. I have with my mom. <laughs> preeminent podcast for all things breast cancer right yeah and breast cancer related yeah which who doesn't want to talk about that exciting times <laughs> anyway i'm jocelyn and this is my illustrious co-host and fixer-upper lauren yes today i am multitasking yeah, you are. Painting and podcasting. A little P&P for your Saturday <laughs> afternoon. So today we are going to talk about, we are going to move south of the breast border and talk about our vulvas. This sounds like fun. Yeah, it's gonna, you know why we're doing this? It's because, uh, where I get most of my new ideas from is I'm reading a book and I love this book and I'm learning all kinds of things about my body. And I feel like 
true to this podcast's form, knowing more about your body is always going to be beneficial to women. So. For sure. Especially when you have to have a lot more involved in your care and all of these things start affecting all those other parts of your body that used to function completely normal and then suddenly they don't. (laughs) Exactly. And every twinge and pain and lump and bump is suddenly um, an indication of death and doom for you, which that is just where you live, I feel like, when you've had breast cancer or probably any cancer. It's just everything after that is cancer. So the more Mm -hmm. that we know about the normal functioning of the body, maybe the less anxiety riddled our day-to-day lives can be. But the connection in my mind between breast cancer and vaginal cancer, which is just basically historically when I've referred to a vagina, I am talking about the entire area. And I've since learned that's just not at all accurate, but it's kind of just like this blanket, like, you know, the privates, the vagina, the veg. Let's start mm-hmm. with a game, a game that I like to call smartest person on the pod, <laughs> which I've set up to be me. Um, so the rules to this game are very simple. Um, only okay. I can ask the questions and only I can know the answers. And you have to answer the questions that you have not been prepared for at all in any way um, through life. Okay. So, oh, also another rule is the answer to all of these questions, they're true or false questions, but the answer to all of them are false. However, you are only allowed to answer true when asked. Right. So So. essentially I'm about to get all these questions wrong on purpose. Yes. Thank you. That helps me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Nope. No problem. Okay. Let's begin. Okay. (laughs) All right, Lauren. um, True or false? The vagina is the part of the pubic area where the pubic hair ends. My answer, hmm, let me really think about this one. It's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, false. <gasps> really? Actually, the outer part of what we usually call the vagina, so the hairless part that you can see, is actually the vulva. The vagina it only refers to the interior part that you cannot see. Interesting. Yeah. And I've got to say, when I learned that, even though I've been through nursing school and I have seen in my five years assisting a family practice physician when I was a medical assistant, I have seen hundreds upon hundreds of vaginas. And I do mean vaginas. I mean, I've seen inside of these vaginas. Um, and this still kind of came as news to me. So that's a little embarrassing. Okay. Second Not question, true or false? The normal appearance for the labia minora is to be slightly nested within the boundaries of the labia majora. Um, I'm supposed to answer true, right? True. No, Lauren, oh. false. Oh, yeah. False. Lauren. Actually, 
50% of women present with labia minora that project beyond the labia majora. So the labia majora are the larger kind of skin flaps that overlay the vaginal opening and the labia minora are what we think of as like the smaller ones that are kind of inside. But honestly, half of the time, that's not true. And the labia mm. minora are actually protruding out from the labia majora. And that is completely normal. Awesome. There's nothing wrong or undesirable about that. So just take that on. All right, let's see who can get this one. Although I don't have high hopes for you here. Um, <laughs> true or false? Wearing white cotton underwear is preferable to prevent vulvar irritation. True. Sorry, Lauren. White undies, black undies, lace undies, thongs, it's all good. There is actually no evidence to suggest that any of these cause irritation or infection or yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. That is an old, antiquated idea that has always been false and remains false. Hmm. Your vulva has so many internal defense mechanisms against any of this kind of stuff that it's not this frail thing that like you can inflame just at the touch of a polyester thong. Like that's not a thing. Right. I remember but, my, my OB used to say that it is a, like a self-cleaning oven. Oh my God. That's exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Darn it. How did you know? Okay. You know what? All right. This is good. This is good. I'm, I'm gonna, you, let's switch roles here. Oh, okay. Okay. You ask me the next one and I'll, and I'll answer. Okay. So women who are taller will have greater vaginal length. Yeah, that's true. <gasps> False. Jocelyn. <gasps> oh. Yeah. The size and shape of a woman's body has no relation to the vaginal size. That is so interesting. Right? I mean, sort of. I mean, because a really tall girl could have small breasts or very large ones. It doesn't really matter. Very interesting. Hmm. Good one. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so this, this next question is a good one. Okay. Shoot. So vaginas need to be tended to and cleaning with douches and jade eggs. It's important step of self-care. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Jade eggs, douches, they're great for uh, vaginal care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell no. <gasps> it's like a self-cleaning oven. <laughs> you called it. I know. It's so funny because I will never forget that from my OB that's a, like the perfect way to describe it self-cleaning oven supposed yeah. to it's, it's one of the lowest maintenance parts of your body honestly what I didn't know like I knew that I so I've never used a douche have you ever no douche no I feel like it might be like also one of those antiquated like you know vaginas are and like like purity complex things but a lot of women still use them. 
And mm -hmm. according to Dr. Jen Gunter, who wrote the book that I'm reading, mm -hmm. she says douches are like cigarettes for your vagina. But that makes sense. They destroy the healthy bacteria that's there to protect you. And there's also studies that that show that they can increase your chance of getting HIV. Oh. Which that, I can't believe they can still sell them, considering. So douches are not universally, they still actually have a purpose, but not for what you would think. But it's, but we're going to go there. But okay. generally speaking, no, there's nothing dirty about your vulva and vagina. Discharge is healthy and normal. And one of the, my favorite things that she says in the book is your vagina should smell like a vagina, not a pina colada. <laughs> and <laughs> because women spend so much money and time on all these things that promise to like, mm -hmm. like deodorants for your vagina, like that. Mm -hmm. I think also, though, I mean, especially when you're young or in your, um, you know, mid 20s, 30s, maybe, you know, after a menstrual cycle, they're like, oh, what can I do to freshen up a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they possibly think that this is, this is what they need. So, I mean, I could from layman's terms sort of go, Oh yeah, well I could see that, you know, being like, Oh, you know, I feel so much better and cleansed, but really it's exactly not, not a good idea. Your body well, we does it on these... its own. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. But that's not the messaging that we get through. Some of us are mothers. Some of us, the, just the plethora of what are labeled feminine hygiene products that you walk into a target and there's like rows filled with like these summer's Eve, the wipes, the washes, the douches, the like all this stuff. And to think like, if I'm not using a spray deodorant for my, you know, vulva, then is there something wrong with me? You know, like, and it's just, it is strictly a money-making tactic. It's not rooted in any evidence-based science. Um, so we covered wipes. Get rid of your wipes. They're not good. They're destroying the acid mantle of your vagina, which is what is protecting you from bacterial and yeast infections. That's the end of our game. <laughs> I think we both really didn't know that much. So glad we played that. Um, so the book I've been reading is called the Vagina Bible by Dr. Jen Gunter. She's on Instagram at Dr. Jen Gunter. And I am low-key obsessed with this woman <laughs> and her positive body messaging for women. And she's been in the industry for something close to 30 years. She's an actual board-certified gynecologist, but she's not just writing about her opinions. She is writing about evidence from peer-reviewed studies, which we'll go over what that means. And when it is her opinion, she clearly states that. And that, to me, is something I always look for when I am looking things up. There are a few things that indicated to me that I really, really 
was going to be into this woman. And there's two quotes that like, I especially love that she says, Mm -hmm. and one of them is, and this is how she begins the book. No woman has ever benefited from learning less about her body. True. And I think that's true. If you're talking about vulva or vaginal care. And I think that's true when you're talking about your breasts and breast cancer and detection and just general maintenance of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the sec- yeah. Because I don't know. I just feel like things are still taboo for the female body that really shouldn't be. Well, and the more you know and the more you understand the way it should properly work will help you identify those times or situations where things seem off and then you can help, you know, bring things to light that that may be serious that you should really be addressing. Um, I think it's a, a wonderful lesson for for all women to know that they should not, you know, if they it's not a it's OK to say I don't know everything. Um you know, or mm-hmm. I don't remember what I learned in grade school when I had sex ed, or maybe I never went to that class, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or as is the typical American experience, that class was wholly insufficient to teach me about my body. And right. for women, and was... this is true too much of the time. Yeah. Around a group of giggling children. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you were homeschooled, Uh, your mother left a textbook style book casually in your room with all the pictures and everything that you would ever need with no context whatsoever. It just shows up one day when you're 15 years old. And, you know, I, I don't know what kind of education my mom got. And so maybe this was like much better than what she received. And I'm too chicken shit to have kids in the first place. So far be it from me, at least it was like an actual textbook instead of like, you know, some passage ripped from the Bible about saving myself for, you know, the holy penis, which I mean was still a message that I kind of got and internalized, but you know, I can get over it. (laughs) Anyway, the second quote that, kind of made me like fully invest in this woman is (laughs) and you don't get any context around this but she just said don't call it camel toe call it labial cleavage (laughs) okay and here's why she said that there are quack doctors out there offering actual surgical intervention to reduce the size of women's labia yeah. Oh my. Are you serious? And that, that hand over your mouth shock face is the appropriate response to that information. It is absolutely oh barbaric that people would market and allow this procedure, which 99.9% of the time is, is not only not necessary, but harmful. And she was just talking about how we have these kind of sexual images of men, like in tight pants where you can kind of see 
like the outline of their penises. And that is considered like, and think of that Rolling Stones album cover. I mean, I'm going way back for this and I definitely don't even think I was born when this came out, but somehow I know about it. But it is like the, it. I think it's supposedly meant to be like a close up on Mick Jagger's crotch in a pair of jeans. And it's, you know, supposed to be a very glamorous idea of the length and width of his penis through these jeans. I don't know if you're familiar with this album cover. I may have seen it, but I don't remember really being very interested. I mean, the stones are great. Don't get me wrong. But right. that is that is a clearly acceptable, like, sexual image to put out there. However, God forbid a woman wear a pair of fucking yoga pants that actually show the contour of the vulva. Like, what? it honestly never occurred to me before until she brought it up. And I was like, yeah, why is that so taboo? Why do we have to hide it? Why in all of those Renaissance paintings and statues it, does a woman just kind of have this like <laughs> hairless <laughs> kind of just like flat, you know, kind of nondescript like area. Mm-hmm. Now they That's also true. weren't doing, they also weren't doing any favors to penises and balls back then either. But that's because we were going through a time where the brain was considered it, the intellect was dominant over the sexual organs and uh yeah how that measures up now i'm not sure but anyway much of the misinformation related to vaginas and vulvas and especially the clitoris is because of the patriarchy and in no small part also because of freud so if you think about it historically cadavers that physicians train on are were always male the physicians oh. themselves were predominantly male. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't appropriate for these male physicians to investigate the female body. And even women going to the doctor a lot of the time were mm-hmm. not examined and they would just kind of describe to the doctor what they felt like was going on. And then the doctor would decide whether or not the woman was competent to <laughs> give that information. And then they would just decide. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And this, this idea of keeping the female body a mystery is really only has ever been beneficial to men. So this idea that the vagina has to be cleansed in preparation to be the receptacle for the male appendage is is exactly <laughs> where that came from. And it's oh still God. part of like our subconscious thinking today. Even, you know, you and I would consider to be pretty forward thinking feminist theorists at you know at least and I still kind of catch myself having some of these same ideas that it's you know and being very aware of like what it what it looks like down there and what it smells like and I went for um laser hair removal the other day because you know the southern border has moved north a bit after my (laughs) deep lab surgery (laughs) Without going into too much detail, because that is reserved for my deep flap or my deep thoughts part two, which you can get as much detail as you want from that. But the lady asked me, like, where do you want your line to be? 
Mm. Or do you just want to take everything? And I was like, no, I want to leave it. Like I'm, you know, I've always been pretty natural or natural. It's also another word that doesn't mean anything, but I prefer to have hair there as to not, but that is not necessarily what's popular, especially I feel like among women who are younger, like in their twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's not what is represented to them. I think in like popular media and certainly porn, that's not what they're seeing. Right. And a lot of young women are taking cues from that. And mm-hmm. the fact that pubic hair plays a part in the normal functioning of your vulva and vagina doesn't seem to, that message doesn't always seem to get out there. Right. And, uh, I blame the patriarchy and Gwyneth Paltrow for that. So. (laughs) And I mean, can we really blame Gwyneth Paltrow for for her awful, awful and damaging advice about steaming your vagina and shoving jade eggs up there when we really, as a society, have not done our due diligence in getting this information out to young girls? Or young yeah. boys, for that matter. Right. So, um, a note here. I just want to divert for a moment uh, because the book does dedicate a good uh, chapter to this, and I don't want to just not mention it, but um, a note about transgender men and women and their mm-hmm. vaginal care. So far, what we have talked about, and probably as we continue, it's going to be very specific to cisgendered women's vaginas. Um, cause that just happens to be the vagina that I have and everything's <laughs> about me because I'm not a great person. Uh, okay. But I do want to make this distinction because I had a bit of an education here. And so I just lifted just to kind of put a context around it. Sex is the designation for a person as male or female based on the biological characteristics such as anatomy and or hormones. Sex can be assigned at birth or changed. Gender is your sense of who you are, male, female, both, or neither. A transgender individual is a person whose gender identity differs from their assigned sex at birth. And there are approximately 1.4 million transgender women and men in the US. Wow. And that's significant because the care of the vagina and the vulva for trans men and women is different. And that is, I was very ignorant about it. So uh, since discovering my own ignorance, I've been educating myself a bit more. And if you are a trans man or woman and you are looking for resources to, to take care of your vaginal health, there is a lot of information Um, on the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. That's the WP, yes, A-T-H. And that's the www.wp, as in Paul, A-T-H.org. So you can learn about standards of care. You can find a knowledgeable provider, which for transgender individuals is incredibly difficult because I think the statistics and I'm pulling this off the top of my head, I did not write this down, but I think only about 30% of providers have any knowledge, any substantive knowledge about the needs of transgender people. And it really sucks when you go to a doctor and you are the person who has to educate them on your body. Mm -hmm. 
So this is a really great resource. They've got providers, standards of care. They have a whole part of their website on um, about political action and policies to be aware of so that you can, you know, vote along your value line and get some of these things into law to That's help people get access to care. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that chapter in the book was very eye-opening to me and just just the amount of pure like unfair bullshit that a transgender person has to go through even to just maintain a vagina when you're on testosterone or when you have one that's been created for you it's just it was a little bit heartbreaking and I felt I felt a little like shameful about being in the medical field and having no idea and you know like mm. I have to do better than that so yeah. so there's that and that's a good resource really for anybody just educate yourself mm. no matter who you are um and then tampons and toxic shock just Oof. to talk about this for a second yeah toxic shock is a thing that actually almost never actually really happened and toxic shock is not just a vaginal phenomenon. You can get toxic shock from any bacteria being introduced into your body and your body just goes into shock. So it's not specific mm. to vaginas, although that's, I think everyone thinks of a vagina when we talk about toxic shock. Right. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. tampons do not increase your risk of toxic shock. Also, there's no such thing as an organic tampon, like tampon. Organic natural all of these things when it comes to menstrual care those are all made up marketing words they don't mean anything they're not regulated there's no fda approved tampon like true it's not that way yeah even the word toxins most of the time that's a fear-based tactic meant Mm -hmm. to sell you things right so wow I think even I was under the assumption that like 100% cotton tampons would be better for you than a cotton polyester blend. But there just is no evidence. And that when you have um, two small children in your home, there's not a whole lot of experimenting with new products just in because you want to try it. <laughs> like you just use what works because... You got like one hand in a pair of diapers and another hand like, you know, doing something else. So, yeah, it's, I would say for a a new mom or a mom that has, you know, a little one, it's just use what you know works for you because you've got a lot of other things that are going on. Yeah. So there's that. But (laughs) here's the thing that even made the connection for me is I just having a history of breast cancer, I actually did not know whether or not that put me at an increased risk for cervical cancer or ovarian cancer or uterine cancer. Right. I mean, maybe my oncologist talked to me about it, but I don't remember. And, Mm. and also my birthday is coming up next month and my birthday is when I usually get my annual exam and I have not had 
I did not get an, an annual exam last year because, you know, I was still getting chemo of a kind. It just wasn't something I was thinking about, and I didn't intentionally no. not get one. And I found that thing on my labia and then went mm-hmm. to have that looked at, and that was around the same time, and I just, that was so traumatic for me personally that I couldn't imagine going back to that office just to have screening done. Anyway, were you, I know you had a hysterectomy, so your Mm -hmm. guidelines would be different and maybe, but did your oncologist ever mention any connection between breast cancer and? Yes, for sure. Although I, I still have my ovaries and my hysterectomy came before I had, or take that back. I had cancer at the time I had my, my hysterectomy, but we didn't know that I had cancer. Mm-hmm. So they didn't take my ovaries. Um, I just had my uterus removed. And then my oncologist was very concerned that I still had my ovaries. And that was um, definitely discussed that it does increase the risk to have ovarian cancer. It, for me, in my case, because I don't have my uterus. So I was like, oh, okay. That the, so, that the hysterectomy increases your chance? No, the breast cancer. That breast cancer does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. So definitely not something to Google. Something to, like you did, talk to your oncologist about. Um, but what I was able to find... I went and I looked at the recommendations from Susan G. Komen, the American Cancer Society, and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, basically. So these are all reputable places to go and look for information. Susan G. Komen says, between the ages of 30 to 65, if you have not had hysterectomy, they recommend exam every one year and a pap basically checking your cervical cells every three years that's that's the speculum exam the pelvic Mm -hmm. exam is when they put like a finger or two in there and they press on your stomach while they're kind of feeling around for your ovaries or whatnot but a pap smear is when they actually take a sample from your cervix which is the opening to your uterus so Pelvic every one year, a pap smear every three years, and HPV screening every five years. If you're over the age mm-hmm. of 65, then just talk to your doctor because you may not need any of it. That's Susan G. Komen. The American Cancer Society right. says that you should do a pelvic exam every year, um, and that is the end of their breast cancer-related recommendations. Wow. But... Like, so under the category of you had breast cancer, here's what we recommend. They recommend a pelvic every year. And then their Mm -hmm. general recommendations are, if you're between 21 and 29, a pap every three years, as long as they're all normal, but they don't recommend HPV testing. Whereas if you're in our age group, 30 to 65, they say paps every five years with HPV screening screening. as long as it's all normal which is called co-testing I believe Mm -hmm. is how they Mm -hmm. what they talk about thing is the American Cancer Society they have a list 
of risk factors that puts you at an increased risk for cervical cancer. And mm-hmm. breast cancer is not listed as a risk wow. factor. Interesting. So that was, yeah, that was surprising to me. The mm-hmm. College of OB-GYNs, they recommend a pap every three years if you're 21 to 29, as long as they're normal. And then between the ages of 30 to 65, they have like three paths you can take, I guess. If you just want the pap alone every three years, or you can just do HPV testing every five years, or you can do co-testing, so both of them every five years. That seems confusing to me. Yeah. What it sounds like to me is they're saying it's okay for you to get a pap smear every five years as long as you are doing HPV testing. And HPV is human papillomavirus, and some of human papillomavirus, I believe, is associated like with herpes, and then some strains are directly connected to cervical cancer because Mm. these viruses can cause cervical cancer, and that is what they're looking for when they test you. That makes sense. So... Many, many, many. I think the last statistic I saw about just herpes simplex virus is that uh, 70% of men uh, have herpes. It's actually very common and has been very common since like the 1950s. Wow. And it's only been in the last 30 or so years that people have like started to consider it as something that is like taboo and unclean when really it's not but that's a whole different thing um all the shaming around that which really shouldn't exist but mm-hmm. hpv when we talk about those strains you're being tested for you're being tested for the cancer causing strains and that that is what the um, vaccine gardasil is specifically designed to prevent those right. cancer causing strains not sure if it prevents all of them or just most of them actually so that's something to to look into but i couldn't i honestly could not find anything that definitively said breast cancer puts you at an increased risk for cervical uterine or ovarian cancer but i think it is probably commonly understood that any history of cancer puts you at an increase for any subsequent cancer. And that's where all of our, that's why all of our brains jump to, you know, the worst case scenario when we find anything. I I think, I think the takeaway for me, the message I've decided to take away from these, these three recommendations that I'm kind of trying to make sense of um, is if you've always had normal pap smears, and then you get breast cancer, it doesn't seem that your automatic reaction should be to expect that now you're at an increased. Yeah, don't necessarily Mm -hmm. link those. Just continue to be screened according to the guidelines that are put out by these medical organizations and, of course, whatever um, gynecologist whatever your oncologist recommends. But I think it's always good to have more than one source of information as long as all the sources are participants in the profession. 
So maybe don't take advice from celebrities on what you should do medically with your body. That may not be a good idea. Good suggestion. Yeah. So all this to say, I need to schedule a pap smear. (laughs) But maybe not because I had a normal one two years ago. Well, maybe see what your doctor recommends. Maybe see what my doctor recommends. Mm -hmm. Because the pelvic exam, the finger part, that you'll notice the the American College of OB-GYNs, I think also, no. So Susan G. Komen and the American Cancer Society say, yeah, you still need a pelvic exam, but the American mm-hmm. College of OB-GYNs, that is nowhere in their recommendation. Yeah. It's not even mentioned. They talk about PAPs and they talk about HPV testing. So that's very interesting. So good questions for physicians who are in this area. Um, So in in conclusion, (laughs) I have a number of things. Read this book. It's called The Vagina Bible. It's so good. Dr. Jen Gunter, she is a delight also. I watched an interview with her that um, I think it was on C-SPAN, one of their like it was just a recorded like convention looking interview she also has a ted talk she also has another interview that she did like she's got a ton of like audio visual stuff out there so if you don't want to read the book you can just listen to some of that um the american college of ob so their website is acog.org that is a reputable place to find recommendations on all things vulvar and vaginal don't Google it. And for the love of God, do not WebMD. WebMD is shit. People need to understand this. WebMD is a site that parades itself around like it's the, or, the goddamn oracle of medical advice. <laughs> when really what it is, is it's a platform to sell ad space. Yeah, and scare factors. Is, yes, and fear mongering. WebMD is is to peer-reviewed evidence as Dr. Oz is to physicians, okay? I would not let Dr. Oz anywhere near my body, and you should not let WebMD anywhere near your brain. (laughs) So don't do it. Learn about your body. Learn about your vulva and your vagina and your clitoris and your pubic hair. These are all beautiful things. There's nothing dirty about them. And when you consider all the things that they can do, the penis pretty much pales in comparison. (laughs) Which the only reason I'm drawing that connection is because, and we will talk about this on another episode where we go over sex and how sex changes after breast cancer, uh, which is going to be a super fun episode Mm -hmm. to do. And we'll talk more about big penis there. But Everything about sex and almost everything about the female reproductive system is built around the penis. And that is wrong and unfair. And that is not to anyone's benefit, penises included. So (laughs) just keep that in mind. 
get your screenings, listen to your doctor, do your homework, and look for consistent messaging across reputable sources. So I'm talking about science. I'm talking about critical thinking. Critical yeah. thinking is looking at actual evidence. And so when you're looking at a website, you need to consider, is this evidence-based? So is an expert the person writing this? And has it been reviewed for validity by other like experts in this field? Mm -hmm. Or, and or, is this person also trying to sell me something? Very important. Because there's a lot of studies out there that say, for example, smoking does, has no connection to lung cancer. There are actual studies out there that say that. And those studies are paid for by the tobacco companies. <laughs> so understand, and, and this can seem like a big thing if you're not in the medical field and you don't have access to things like that we use regularly to check for updated um, guidelines, like up to date is a, is a huge resource to us where we can go and see what the latest is on any any given thing. I have access to literature databases because I'm in school like CINAHL and EBSCO and you can look and you can find all these peer-reviewed articles. So you don't, if you don't have access to those and you aren't used to using them, it's no wonder that the internet can provide you with an article that will look legitimate and actually be sponsored and written for and by a corporation that's really just trying to make money off of you. So wow. yeah, just be wary and ask your doctor for articles. I don't know about you, Lauren, but my, my doctor like gives me articles to read, like yeah. peer reviewed articles. If he mm -hmm. tells me like, I'm going to put you on this medication or this is what I recommend, he will give me articles about it. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that we should all be asking for those. You have to read the whole article. Just familiarize yourself with what what it looks like. What does a peer-reviewed article look like? And how can you identify it in future so that you don't get tricked into shoving a jade egg up your vagina and then using your garment steamer to cleanse yourself? Because <laughs> that is just really, really... Uh, Poor advice at best, and it's mercenary marketing at worst, which is what I really think it is. So, what about you, Lauren? In I, conclusion, oh man, um, I think that you know, all women just need to really put themselves first and take care of their bodies and go to those checkups, even though we're. I don't know anybody that gets excited about going to the OBCYN <laughs> and they're like, yay, ah, I have to sit in the stirrups. Like it's okay. <laughs> let's just be honest. It's not really fun, but it, it is so important for early detection, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, you take care of yourself, your mother, your sisters, your grandma, mm. your aunts, you know, your, your best friends. We always want to look out for those people that you love and make sure that, you know, don't make it so scary and, or taboo for that matter. And 
it's really important just to support one another and it's not it's not something that we should avoid doing it's something that we should be proactive in doing mm-hmm. yeah and dialogue with your physician about how often you should do it mm-hmm. have an open discussion yeah and make your needs known next time i see my gin i'm gonna tell them can be five years or would that be irresponsible and whatever we decide is what i'm gonna do because they're the expert yeah but i'm i'm also gonna keep in mind i'm gonna bring them the evidence that i have and then we'll dialogue about it and i think that's important that you be informed at some level don't solely rely on one single person even when they are a physician to make these decisions for you yeah some physicians got like c's in med school so (laughs) have a have a healthy level of skepticism and then once you build that trusting relationship you know a good physician like i said they'll give you the literature they will refer you to places where you can look into it and think for yourself. I think a red flag would be a physician that just says, just trust me, this is best. You don't need any more information. Mm-hmm. That's not a, that's not someone I would trust with my care. No. Yeah. My, uh, my vagina is too special for that person. <laughs> Much too special. All right, that's it. This has been Breast Cancer's Boring. Vulvas are interesting, and your body, your choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <I guess>. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Jocelyn, I want to thank you guys for listening. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you guys so much. Uh, I don't know who you are, but you're the reason we do it. <laughs> Actually, we know who some of you are because some of you end up on the show, and that is going to be the case over the next couple of episodes, and I am very, very excited about it. I can't wait. Me too. We have some good stuff coming up, so Mm -hmm. it's going to be great. (laughs) 